Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Uh, how, how many of you guys went to bed before midnight? Let's just, let me just see. Okay, th- you are some wise people. We're not even, that's, we're going to stop it right there. It is day one of 2023. This is a special moment that we get to share this together, like the beginning of the the whole year. And I love that that, that is a, a moment that we don't want to waste together. And we started the year with prayer and worship. Amen. If you're online, if you're on campus, I cannot think of a better way to jump into 2023 than to give glory and praise to God. And so I'm excited for where we're at. And I thought, I want to I wanna give you something to take with you into this new year. I think when you kind of make that turn from a new year, some of us are asking ourselves like, hey, what do I want to leave in the last year, and what do I want to take with me into a new year? Anybody ask those questions? Some of us are like, I'm going to leave some of the carbs in the last year. I'm going to take some some healthy eating into the new year. We all feel that way. Uh, I want to give you guys, just to start with right now, a question that you can take with you. It's a question that you can ask in about any relationship that you have. It's a question that I'll admit is fairly difficult to uh, respond to. And so when you use this question in a relationship, you, you should expect some like, some thinking time. But it's also a question that I've really found helpful in my own life in a series of just people and friends and small groups and just encounters. It's a question that I've found creates a bridge to understanding people better. And this is, this is the question. What do I need to know about you to get you? Like, Jim, what do I need to know about you to get you? Like, Jane, like, what do I need to know specifically, uniquely about you to really get you? Okay, some ways that people may answer this question. They could say, hey, uh, my parents were uh, parents of the Depression. So we were that family, still arm. I still do. I saved the wrapping paper on Christmas Day, right? That's just that you have to know that to get me. Some of you might say, hey, I put up a, a tough exterior, but I'm like a soft teddy bear inside. Some of you might say, hey, I'm a child of the 80s. It's a miracle I'm still here. Others of you, you may respond that some say I'm a control freak and they're right but that's probably because much of my life felt outside of my control. Like if I was to ask you, what do I need to know about you to get you? And I think we appreciate that question and the people you ask will appreciate that question because we as humans hate to feel misunderstood. We hate the idea that anybody would would get our heart or our intention or anything wrong, which so easily happens in any day and every day relationships. And so just, want to give you one insight. This is like a little bonus before we even get into the message. Before we go anywhere, I want to say this. Here's some good news. Like first good news of the whole year. God gets you. Like he actually gets you better than you think. And the more we get to know God, the more we'll get to, to read and understand that God knows every hair on our head. He knows every fear in our heart. He knows every regret and piece of shame in our past. And yet he still gets us. He gets you and get this. He likes you, takes it another step further. He loves you, the Bible says. Some of you could just leave right now because you just need to like, just revisit that thought for the next 365 days. God gets you. He likes you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. Okay. 
I want to reverse the question for a moment. If you will allow me to do that, we're just, now here's the next question. What do you need to know about God this year to get God better? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself that question? Like if you got to pick, like what is it that you desire to know more about God that would help you to understand him better, his hopes, his heart for you this year? Reminds me of a story of a guy named Lee and uh, Lee wanted to know, can I even trust? Is this whole God thing real? You see, Lee's story is this. Uh, he's an author today. And Lee's story began, he was uh, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, famous one. And his family, cute little family living in the suburbs and uh, nothing to do with faith, nothing to do with God. Like, like people don't follow God. Is that so outdated, he would say. Until one day his wife starts going to this, like she gets invited with some other gals to go to this women's thing at a local church. And one day she has the audacity to come home and say, honey, I've, I've given my life to Christ. Like I'm a Christian now. And like his jaw hit the floor. Some of you have walked that path. His jaw hit the floor. He couldn't believe it. It began to create a little bit of a riff in his marriage And as the tension built over time, he kind of visited once with her, came back, and he goes, that's it. I'm a journalist, and I know the five principles of authenticating or disauthenticating any source or any story. So I'm going to put to work what I do best as a journalist. I'm going to put the Bible and evidence for it to the test, and I will disprove it. He goes, I'm going to take it so serious. I'm going to mark out two years to do this, and we're going to do it slowly and methodically, and I'm going to put... Christ put the scriptures to the test. I'm a the Chicago Tribune journalist. I can do this. And so he begins to do that. He flies places. He meets with scholars and experts. He goes places where the original manuscripts of scriptures are kept. And before the two years comes to be, his goal is to get his wife out of this quote unquote cult, he said, before the two years would actually even come to an end. He says, I had the realization one night in my office, evidence, everything plotted out in the room, trying to take his own personal bias out of it. He goes, it would take more faith for me to disbelieve the evidence of the Bible than to, than to just give my life to it. And so right there, he gets down on the floor and he gives his life to following Jesus. What an amazing story. What an amazing testimony of somebody desiring to know more about God. I think all of us struggle with some big questions at some point in our lives. Some of us are just more willing to put some of the time into those questions. And so today, this morning, I wanna unpack some of those those doubts that we may struggle with, some of those questions that we may or may not be translating externally to ask us the questions, can I trust this book in 2023? Is this book relevant and meaningful? And does it have something to offer my life this year. Peter, we're gonna be in the book of Peter. So if you have a Bible, you're gonna open up the second Peter. If you're at home and you got kids running around, tell them to go get the Bible for you. We're gonna be in second Peter this morning because Peter has something to say about that. In second Peter chapter one, verse 12, Peter, he's like the apostle of hope. Bible nicknames him that way. Kind of on this church, I'll, I'll build my church on you, Peter. Peter's writing to an audience and he wants to give them some important things to remember. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So he's gonna give us some reminders, friends. 
Verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Verse 16, he turns up the heat. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but but we were eyewitnesses, keyword of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Verse 18, we find, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That word prophetic, important word. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Anytime an author says you'll do well to pay attention, what should we do? Pay attention. As to a lamp, he says, shining in a dark place until the day dawns, morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The big idea this morning is this. The Bible reminds us that there is truth worth living for. The Bible reminds us that there is truth, that there is evidence, that there is reliability that's worth living for and acting on in our lives. Let me, let me share with you guys just a few, few facts. You guys know this. The Bible is the number one best-selling book in the world. Get this. It's also the most shoplifted book in the world. Isn't that fascinating? The word Bible, just to give you some basics, means book or scroll. It's derived from the Latin word Biblia, which comes from the word Biblio, which was one of the oldest ancient cities that get this. Biblio was a town known for uh, providing parchment to the ancient world at the time. And that's where we arrive at this word Biblia, Bible. Uh, The Bible was largely composed of different uh, authors. Obviously, there was, let's see here, 66 books, 40 authors. And around the year 440, the Council of Hippo, comprised of many bishops, kind of voted and uh, voted, studied, and they formed what we call the canon of Scripture, meaning they authenticated which books belong and which books do not. And it was a spiritual and a a process bathed in wisdom where they would form the Bible as we know it today. Now, just a little, little extra bonus. You don't, Derek, Dave, I've never thought about this, but the chapter numbers and the verse numbers that we often see, nothing holy about those, by the way. If you want to change them, you can do that. It would not be sacrilegious of you. Chapter numbers were added around the year 1200. We know exactly who did that. Uh, and then the verse numbers were added a few hundred years later around the year 14, 1500s uh, AD after the death of Jesus. Just interesting facts. It makes it a lot easier to get to for God to love the world. I mean, otherwise you just can't say John three sixteen. And so that is a little bit of a background. Now the Bible, if you're newer to the faith, is comprised of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just by way of reminder, if you're new, the Old Testament is everything, the life before the physical life of Jesus walked on earth. The New Testament, we celebrated last week, starts on what? The birth of Jesus. And his life, the first four books kind of encompass that, and then his life following and the church's uh, expansion afterwards. That's a little bit background on the Bible. It's normal as I raise some of these interesting things for you to start to maybe have some objections in your mind, some doubts, some concerns like, I'm giving my whole life to this. Can I really embrace or believe this? And I just want to encourage you guys this morning 
to consider with me how the Bible has stood the test of time and why maybe it deserves more of our time this year. And for anyone who's stepping into a new year today and you're, you've got some time off of work maybe and you're processing, you're reflecting, maybe breaking that journal out, blowing the dust off of it, and you're thinking like, what is this year gonna be? Some of you have begun to ask, God, how do I grow in my faith? I mean, so many of us are here this morning or here online because, man, the new year's coming when the party was great, but God, I want more out of this next year. And you're asking yourself, like, how do I have more in my faith? Well, it says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we know that for anyone who wants to grow in their relationship with Christ, it's gonna happen as we start in the word of Christ. And so Peter, in this passage alone, lays out three claims, three reminders that reinforces the significance of God's word. All right, we ready to dive in? Are we, are we ready to dive in? Come on. All right, here we go. Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses. Okay, uh, I love the Guinness Book of World Records. I think it's fascinating. If you've ever flipped through one of those books or gone on their websites, it is fascinating the records that exist in our world. I'll, I'll start with one. Did you know that the heaviest weight supported by a tongue, just kind of move yours around right now. Heaviest weight supported by a tongue, 27 pounds. 20, that's, that's, that's heavier than my child. Uh, 27 pounds. Uh, they had to pierce the tongue and put a hook in it and then attached four plates to his tongue, and he held him there for five seconds. This is about 2004. You're welcome. I'm not showing you a photo right now because that would just be over the line right there. Let me give you another world record I find fascinating. The, the heaviest thing pulled by a human is a CC-177. Uh, it's a plane, and it weighs over 416,000 pounds, and he didn't just pull it one foot. That would have been amazing. That would have been like a clap. He pulled it 27 feet. That's basically the front of this stage. He moved the plane. Let me put a photo up. That's what this plane looks like right here. 27 feet. And I, and I get this. It's a Canadian priest. So he's winning people for Jesus pulling this plane. Isn't that amazing? Now, as I share these with you, I could go on and I could actually pepper in some lies if I wanted to, just to kind of get some chuckles, you know? And the question that you should begin asking yourself is, ah, I don't know about that, Dave. The question you would begin to ask is, hey, were there, were there any eyewitnesses? Like the photo's great, but hey, we live in a Photoshop era. My child can do that. Like, is there any eyewitnesses? And so if you go to the Guinness Book of World Records website, you can actually unpack their whole process for authenticating a process. And one of the most important pieces of criteria is not one, but two prearranged eyewitnesses before the act even happens. Paul, sorry, not Paul, Peter is saying in verse 16, hey, I want to get, remind you of the first thing, this. I want you to look for the eyewitness evidence. I want you to look for eyewitness evidence. As you begin to unpack God's word in the next year, I want you to start to see how often eyewitnesses are threaded throughout it. If I, if I just turn the page of my Bible, I'm already in a new book, 1 John chapter one, different person, different letter, different scene. And this is what John writes. I love John. One of my favorite person, people. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen. He's talking about Jesus and we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim 
to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is saying, hey, I don't know how else to make this any more clear to you in the beginning of his letter. I have seen, touched, heard. I mean, like, I know Jesus. Pretty remarkable. An eyewitness. And they're all throughout the Bible making it abundantly clear the relationship they had. Now, what's interesting is I love Peter's account because I think Peter wasn't really too concerned that anybody would disbelieve the existence of Jesus. And even today, even an atheist would not disbelieve unless they're in the right mind, like the existence of Jesus. He is a historical figure, par none. He existed, okay? The question that we will struggle with and the world will struggle with was, is he a divine figure? Like, was he... Was he part of the Trinity? Was he God manifested here on earth? Now that's a fair question. And so I love how Peter says it in that verse 16. He goes, I'm an eyewitness of his majesty, of his kingship, of his divine kingship, of his power. We saw miracles. I've been an eyewitness of the majesty. And even better, do you know that there was over 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus defeat death post-resurrection, who saw him walk and talk and breathe. So the big question that you should be asking if you're not already there is this, like what is stopping these authors for just making all of this stuff up? That's great, great question. You're asking a motive question. And a motive question is, is integral to any authentication of any kind of story. And Lee Strobel would do that in his book, The Case for Christ. And he would talk about, how do you know if you can trust the source? There's, there's over 66 books and 40 authors. How do I know if I can trust these people? And so as you go through motive questions, there's all types of criteria to look at. But I think one of the most important pieces of criteria is like, hey, what's their personal gain in all of this? And all throughout scripture, we realize it wasn't about a worldly gain that our biblical authors had. In fact, by world standards, they lost everything, including Peter himself. He'd soon go on to being imprisoned and then to being crucified himself for this very book that he's writing for you and I. It wasn't for personal gain that our biblical authors brought their narrative of what they witnessed. It was for our gain here today. So the motive checks out in just a beautiful way. Okay. Now you're, you're kind of saying, Dave, eyewitnesses are great, but you're like this, this book, the Bible was written by humans and I've gotten to know some humans in my life. I have a hard time trusting and putting my whole life into that. And so I want to say this reminder number two from Peter is look for the prophetic evidence. And the word prophet, prophetic, comes from prophet. And it means one who speaks for God. So I'm gonna read a few verses. Starting in verse 19, Peter says this. He goes, hey, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you'll do well to pay attention. He continues on in verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, the only thing better than a prophecy is a confirmed prophecy. And you, my friends, we are living in one of the best days and age because we are living in a time where we have access to the Old Testament and we have access to the New Testament. We have access to prophecies that were written hundreds of years prior by different people in different locations. And we have access to stories showing that these prophecies came true. True. We have access to the fuller picture. 
See, prophecies offer a supernatural evidence that this was the inspired word of God, penned by man, but inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that this scripture is God-breathed. And if God, if this is God's orchestra, if God is in charge, I believe that he is going to protect this and its process. So what, what does that mean? Like, what does that reality mean for you and I? It means that Jesus was far more than like a good teacher and just a historical figure. You know, there are over 500 fulfilled prophecies in all of scripture. 500 written by over 40 authors across 66 books, written over a span of 1,500 years years across three different continents. There was no Google Docs. There was no Dropbox file sharing, text messaging, fax machines between the authors. And across that 1,500 span and different authors, you know, they're all telling one story. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the canon of scripture, that since Genesis all the way to Revelations, they're telling one story of God's love for you and I of God's desire to have a relationship with us. And all throughout scripture, we're reminded that as humans, we fall short and sin gets in the way. And all throughout scripture, we see God overcoming sin and coming towards us to want to have a relationship with us. And there's no way these authors would have gotten together in one room and made that story sing the way it sings to us today. It's the gospel story, the good news that God loves us and has a plan for us. Peter continues, we're going to look at one more just in this passage today. Reminder number three, and he would say, look at the evidence of light. Look at the evidence of light. In verse 19, I'm going to continue back up on that verse and kind of read the second half of it. Verse 19, Peter says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you'll do well to pay attention. And he likens it this way. He says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It says, pay attention. Everything I'm talking about is like a lamp shining in the dark. The psalmist in Psalms 119, you've heard it before. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It reminds me of the uh, first time I went to camp. I was in fifth grade, went to this summer camp and you're already nervous as a first time going away to away camp. And the camp counselor, probably his first year too, decides to take us on a night hike, like a night hike, pitch black. And only he would have a flashlight, they said. And so we got like 12 boys lined up. We're hiking through the woods on a single track trail in a woods I've never been in before. You're hearing all kinds of sounds. It's like 1130 at night. And the flashlight is so far up in the front. I'm in the back. You got like one hand on the person in front of you. And you're just stumbling through the woods. Most scared I've ever been up to that point in my life as a fifth grader. That's not God's hope for God's word with us. God says, my word's to be a lamp to all your feet. It's not just for one person to have the Bible. Because I want all of us to come to this for ourselves. Like Oprah Winfrey, you get a Bible and you get a Bible and you get a Bible. You get a light. Everyone on this trip gets lights. And some of us have those lights, but we've kind of kept them turned off in our back pocket. I don't know, maybe you like the thrill of being in darkness. And God's saying, turn it on. You got some questions? You got some things you're struggling with? He goes, it's going to be a lamp. It's available for your doubts, your questions, your fears, your pain, the things that you desire in your life. It's, it's available for the confusion, the longings, the guilt that we have. And that verse says, 
It'll guide you until the morning star rises. And that's an, an imagery for until Christ comes again. This is our guide. So some of you are thinking, what do I do in 2023? How am I, how am I gonna be a better version of myself? How am I gonna step up in my family or my relationships? And if you're looking for some direction right here, Romans 8 says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's great news, friends. I like what author Lisa Turkhurst says. She says, God is the author of truth that empowers us. And Satan is the author of deception that imprisons us. As we approach the light that comes through scripture, it becomes our testimony, it becomes evidence. As you allow God's word to transform your life, as you trust it, as you take a risk, you'll know if that risk was worth it. I guarantee you'll come to a point where you go, I'm glad I trusted God's word to me. And that becomes evidence for the goodness of this book right here. You'll find that you're set free to enter into the story. It's not meant to be a story that we just kind of flip the pages of and we look at and we go, oh, it's cute. It's amazing. David and his mighty men, whew, good story. No, it's like, God's like, hey, I want you to read it but I want you to enter into it. I want you to begin to see that it's not just a story. It's an invitation to a new way of living. And that your life, the way you follow me, is gonna also speak volumes to the world watching. That you'd cling to this hope and cling to this reminder. The big idea, again, the Bible reminds us there is truth worth living for, that there are eyewitnesses, that there are prophecies that are proven and that it is reliably a light for our paths. And so I just wanna end with that same question. Like, what do you need to know about God this year to know him better? What do you need to know more about his nature feel closer to him this year? What have you been avoiding taking to God? What struggle have you been nervous to bring before him? To get more practical today, it's the first day of the year, I'd ask you guys to consider like, what's one way that you would be excited to go about that this year? Like, what's one way that you, not, not David Navarro, like, what's the way you could be excited to pursue God's word this year? Okay, let me just get practical for a moment before we close. Uh, some of you don't even own a Bible yet, and we've got one for you in the lobby, but I'll be honest with you, there's like way better ones on Amazon. And so some of you need to do a little shopping. We're good at that in today's day and age. So you need to jump on Amazon when you leave today, and you need to buy yourself a Bible you like. Don't go cheap, friends. Like, splurge today. Uh, I'm gonna put a slide up. Some of you are like, well, what translation do I get? It's confusing. I would say start with the ESV. That's what we use here most commonly amongst Bible studies and preaching. It stands for English Standard Version. NIV is another great translation though. I'd get, I'd type it in Amazon, get something leather bound, get a color you like, and make that a part of your, your year. Some of you are like, I have so many questions when I read the Bible, I, I just, I shut down. And so I wanna recommend, there's these things called a study Bible. If you're newer to faith, I put my favorite study Bible up there. It's called the Life Application Study Bible. If you don't own this, this will be the best purchase you make in 2023. I'm sorry that you'll get that done the first day of the year, but you'll be the, I mean, you'll be the thing you 
are so happy you spent money. That's like $50, $60. It is, uh, so someone asked me after the last service, what's a study Bible? So not only are there verse references, but in a study Bible, they'll give like a little asterisk with a number and they'll split the page in half. And on the other side of the page, for some verses, they're gonna give you a little bit of a summary of what that verse is trying to say. Or they're gonna give you some historical background around that verse. I commend you to maybe consider buying that. Others of you, maybe it's a devotional you wanna incorporate into. So it's like an accompaniment to scripture. It's not scripture itself, but it's usually based on verses of the Bible. I put two up there. New Morning Mercies is a great place to start. Many of our men's ministries have used that before. A devotional might be a small way for you to start to dip your toe in the water of a conversation with Jesus every day. Now, some of you are like, Dave, like, I want to take a deep dive. Like, I got some some areas in my life that this year, I want to know what does God's word say about that? And while you could flip to the back of the Bible and look up the word, you know, suffering and find like a thousand references, that's one way. The other way is there's some incredible literature that exists out there. And so I'm just going to put a few of my favorite books up here. Uh, If you're like, Dave, I want to have a better prayer. I want to understand prayer better. I feel like I'm praying to the wind sometimes. Great book, Prayer by Tim Keller. Some of you, maybe you've lost a loved one in the last year or two, and you're struggling with grief and you're gripped by it. A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, fantastic book. Some of you, maybe you're a leader in your business and you're struggling with like, how do I lead better? Lead Like Jesus by Ken Blanchard, fantastic. Some of you may be newer to the faith or you're just wanting to understand a more robust theology. Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. Some of you are like, hey God, what's God calling me to in this next season? Called by Mark Laberton, fantastic book. And some of you, you're like, gosh, I feel like God's stretching us to be more generous in this next year. What, like, what does the Bible really have to say about generosity? So I'd commend to you the, the Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, a great book. Friends, don't, don't look to save money in the area of your spiritual life in 2023. Like of all the cuts you can make, this is not it. Invest in your mind, your heart, your soul, and your most important relationship and getting to know God better this year. If you do that, you'll move from hearing God's word occasionally to living it out daily. And I think you'll be amazed at the ways by which God walks with you in this new year. I'm going to end with this, this story. Uh, we, uh, prior to moving here five years ago, always lived in California, but my wife Katie and I spent 12 months living in Belgium as missionaries. And we partnered with this organization called Operation Mobilization. We call it OM. And we arrived in Belgium to run this retreat center for missionaries, long-term missionaries, and to help support an international church uh, locally as well. And so we spent this year doing that. But as I got there, I realized, man, like this whole building, first of all, we were living on site. I got this building is older than our whole nation. That's interesting. And I'm looking at it. And one day at this like little tea and coffee break with the whole kind of missions team, I had made a comment like, man, if the walls could speak at this place, you know what happened? I said that and the two old timers spoke up and they're like, well, hey, we've been around for like 70 years. They were like from America, these missionaries, and they just never left. And so they're like, what do you want to know? I'm like, well, tell me the history of this place. And so while it's currently a retreat center, they began to tell me how, how originally they, they bought the property and they retrofitted the whole thing to be a state-of-the-art um, auto shop. And he goes, and we would have missionaries coming from around the world to customize and retrofit vehicles, to be smuggling vehicles, to smuggle Bibles into neighboring countries, especially the Soviet Union. 
got a photo of, of some of those vehicles. I mean, it's a sweet looking fleet right there. And I said, you're kidding me. You guys are Bible smugglers? I'll show you a photo of them. And, and I was like, and they, they started showing me the whole history. They walked me through the old garage. There's still one of the garage where they work on cars. And two of the guys I'm sitting with having coffee. And this is like their throwback photo. And I could not believe it. And I'm thinking, what an amazing operation. That God's word was so illegal. And he told me how nervous they would get when they'd get to the borders. And, and how they'd get through and how, how crafty they had gotten in hiding Bibles. And I thought, wow, that's so commendable. I love it. And then here we are in the year 2023. And us, many of us, have such easy access to God's word. What a gift. What a gift to be alive today. And yet while I have access to it, I think the question that I have to ask myself still daily, if I was to be honest with you guys, is how do I smuggle God's word deeper into my life? And I think maybe that's a question for some of us to walk out of here with, like what could it look like for us to leave here as a people resolved to more deeply get creative smuggling God's word into this new year for us. That's my hope. It's my hope for myself. It's my hope for all of us as a church that we'd see God show up in remarkable ways. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.